This is Space Time, Series 26, Episode 56, for broadcast on the 10th of May, 2023. Coming up on Space Time, studying powerful stellar eruptions called superflares. Europe announces plans to build a nuclear-powered rocket, and we look at the work done by the European Space Agency's Amada of Satellites undertaking air quality missions. All that and more coming up on Space Time. Welcome to Space Time with Stuart Gary. Astronomers using a combination of space and ground-based observations have captured one of the most complete pictures yet of a superflare erupting from a distant star. The findings reported in the Astrophysical Journal describes a very massive high-velocity prominence eruption blasting out from the binary star V1355 Orionis located some 400 light-years away in the constellation Orion. The study is important because many stars are observed releasing superflares, which can be over 10 times larger than the largest solar flares ever seen erupting from the Sun. And it raises the possibility of whether or not the Sun could release such flares as well. Hot ionized gas released by the Sun's solar flares can have a major influence on the environment around the Earth, referred to as space weather. A solar flare or coronal mass ejection can cause Earth's atmosphere to wobble like a jellyfish. It triggers spectacular aurora light displays, the northern and southern lights, the aurora borealis and aurora australis, which are the displays we've been having over the past few weeks. But it can also damage spacecraft, frying their electrical circuits and causing them to use up more fuel in order to maintain operational orbits as the atmosphere around them expands and contracts, increasing atmospheric drag and consequently orbital decay. The radiation from these flares can also damage life, affecting astronauts aboard the International Space Station and on deep space missions. It can disrupt navigation and communication systems and even affect power grids on Earth, causing widespread blackouts by overloading circuits. And they're just the big ones from the sun we know about. Could our sun produce flares ten times bigger, flares big enough to irradiate the planet and destroy life? The star V1355 Orionis is known to frequently release large-scale superflares. However, the details of how superflares and prominence eruptions on stars occur is still unclear. Now, a team of scientists led by Shun Inu from Kyoto University have used the 3.8-metre semi-telescope in Japan and NASA's Transiting Exoplanet Survey Satellite TESS to monitor the V1355 Orionis binary system. And the team succeeded in capturing a superflare with continuous high temporal resolution observations. The data analysis shows that the superflare originated with a phenomenon known as a prominence eruption. Now, calculating the velocity of the eruption requires making some assumptions about aspects that aren't directly observable. But even the most conservative estimates far exceeded the 347 km per second escape velocity of the star. And that indicates that the prominence eruption was capable of breaking free of the star's gravity and developing into a coronal mass ejection. The prominence eruption was also one of the most massive ever observed, carrying trillions of tons of material. 
Overall, the observations are providing astronomers with a better idea of how super flares and stellar prominence eruptions can occur. This is Space Time. Still to come, Europe announces plans to follow in the footsteps of the United States and develop a nuclear-powered rocket. And we look at the work done by the European Space Agency's constellation of air-monitoring spacecraft, the Copernicus Sentinel program. All that and more still to come on Space Time. European Space Agency has announced plans to follow in the footsteps of NASA and develop nuclear-powered rockets for deep space exploration. Spacecraft currently use a variety of chemical rockets or electric ion propulsion systems usually powered by solar arrays. And of course there are also lots of solar cell experiments continuing as a third potential option for the future. But NASA began looking at the idea of nuclear-powered rockets back in the 1960s under what was called Project Orion. But it was dropped due to funding constraints and the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty. The problem is conventional space propulsion methods are now reaching their physical limits. One of the original ideas involved nuclear impulse detonation systems where small atomic bombs would be ejected behind the rear of the spacecraft, ignited, and the shockwaves from the nuclear blast then used to push the spacecraft forward. Luckily, they're no longer being considered as an option. Instead, scientists are looking at nuclear-based electrical propulsion systems. Like the electric iron propulsion systems on which they're based, nuclear electric propulsion systems use propellants much more efficiently than chemical rockets, but provide far lower amounts of thrust. They would use a nuclear reactor to generate electricity that positively charges gas propellants like xenon or krypton, pushing the ions through a thruster which then drives the spacecraft forward. Conventional iron propulsion systems do the same thing, but use solar arrays to generate the electricity. Using low thrust efficiently, nuclear electric propulsion systems could accelerate spacecraft for extended periods of time, propelling a vehicle on a mission to, say, Mars in just a fraction of the time and for a fraction of the propellant of a high-thrust chemical system. Another idea being examined is nuclear thermal propulsion technology. It provides high thrust and twice the propellant efficiency of any chemical rocket system yet developed. It works by transferring heat from a nuclear reactor to a liquid propellant such as liquefied hydrogen, which is being pumped through the reactor core. This rapidly heats up, expanding to a gas, which is then forced out of the rocket nozzle, creating high thrust and accelerating the spacecraft rapidly forward. The advantage of nuclear thermal propulsion is that it can not only shorten travel times, but also deliver far greater payloads. For example, a trip to Mars could be reduced by a quarter, cutting a six-month one-way trip down to less than five months. And of course, reducing flight times would be especially important for a manned mission as the short travel times would reduce the amount of exposure to harmful cosmic radiation that a crew would be exposed to. NASA began its latest nuclear propulsion research program last year in collaboration with the Pentagon's Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, DARPA. They plan on developing a nuclear thermal propulsion engine by 2027. ESA hopes it could have its system operational by 2035. This is space time. 
Still to come, we take a look at the European Space Agency's efforts to fight air pollution using a fleet of Copernicus satellites. And later in the Science Report, a new study shows that OpenAI's ChatGPT4 can answer medical questions better than most doctors. All that and more still to come on Space Time. Air pollution has become a serious global problem. According to the World Health Organization, 7 million premature deaths each year are linked to air pollution. The European Space Agency's Copernicus Atmosphere Monitoring Services provide key information about air quality around the globe, helping scientists understand how people can keep the planet breathable. Using the European Space Agency's constellation of Earth observation satellites, it provides constant quality-controlled information in relation to air pollution and health, solar energy, greenhouse gases and climate across the globe. Over the past year alone, ESA's Sentinel Satellite Constellation has been monitoring Sahara Desert dust storms crossing the Iberian Peninsula and then continuing across France towards northern and central Europe. The networks also observed large-scale smoke blooms generated by devastating wildfires in central and southern Chile, that was back in February, which then spread over the Pacific Ocean. They followed even more extreme wildfires back in December, which burnt across Europe and the Americas. The Sentinel's atmospheric monitoring systems tracked devastating wildfire emissions around the globe, and it monitored as European wildfire emissions reached their highest levels in 15 years. Copernicus also studied persistent Antarctic ozone holes in 2020, 2021 and 2022, which included some unusual behaviour. Not only did the closure of the ozone hole last year take longer than usual, but it was also relatively large. The constellation also kept a close eye on the evolution of Mauna Loa's volcanic eruption in Hawaii, which wound up spewing out a huge plume of sulphur dioxide. And it issued early warnings about spring dust, air pollution and pollen outbreaks across Central Europe. And thanks to Copernicus, scientists are now predicting further very high levels of surface ozone pollution across large areas of Europe as temperatures start to soar again. This report from ESA TV. The atmosphere, crucial for life on Earth. It makes our planet habitable. However, air pollution has become a serious problem. Human activities are altering our atmosphere at an unprecedented scale. This has an impact on air quality and is affecting people's health all around the globe. Studies even show that in the urbanised regions of Europe, 90% of the population is exposed to harmful levels of air pollution. According to uh, the World Health Organization, uh, adverse air quality is responsible of 7 million premature deaths on a global scale. In Europe, uh, the European Environment Agency is estimated to 400 to 500,000 uh, premature deaths occurring. So this is a very, uh, real, uh, very real problem. Air quality affects our health in many ways, from causing heart and respiratory disease to exacerbating asthma and even impacting cognitive abilities. Recent studies have also shown that even relatively low levels of air pollution can affect people's health. In order to better understand this problem and find solutions, scientists need reliable data on where and how the air is being polluted 
and how it spreads. This can be done locally by taking in situ measurements. But with satellite data, this can be achieved at a larger scale, across regions and countries, thus tracking pollution as it's spread by the wind. Over the last two decades, the European Space Agency launched a number of satellites that observe our atmosphere and measure air pollutants. ESA is involved in air quality measurements by providing uh, space measurements, satellites that have the capability to measure air pollution trace gases. We started on this uh, during 1995 by putting GOME in space. This instrumentation, this capability has then been improved step by step by follow-on instruments like uh, Skirmaki, GOME2 or OMI. And now with uh, the Copernicus uh, mission Sentinel-5 uh, precursor, we have global coverage within one day. And this allows for the first time to use this space-based measurements to be implemented in operational services for air quality monitoring, but also for forecasting. The Copernicus program with its Sentinel satellites has bridged the gap between research and operational services. Using both satellite and in situ measurements, the Copernicus Atmosphere Monitoring Services provides information about air composition and quality across the globe. At the European level, it's almost like a weather forecast. This information is picked up by media and smartphone applications warning the public on poor air quality in their region. With Copernicus Sentinel-5P launched in 2017, which carries a novel instrument called Tropomi, a big step was taken to observe sources of air pollution. Now pollution hotspots are clearly visible. This increased spatial resolution comes from Sentinel-5P's spectrometer, the Tropomi instrument. The Tropomi instrument is really a big step forward in what we, uh, what we can do. Uh, and uh, that's for, for different reasons. I think maybe the most striking thing when you look at the data is the very good spatial resolution. So it, it can measure uh, with a ground resolution of about three and a half by seven kilometers, which is more than a factor of 10 better than what we can, that, that previous instruments had. With its Tropomi instrument, Copernicus Sentinel-5P is showing how important it is by delivering operational data on air quality every day. Within the Copernicus program, ESA and the EU are already preparing new missions to monitor our atmosphere. For example, one of the potential future Sentinel missions has been proposed to monitor emissions of carbon dioxide. Our atmosphere is precious, but polluting emissions are both responsible for poor air quality as well as adding to the greenhouse effect driving climate change. By monitoring emissions and understanding how they spread, we might find solutions to keep our planet breathable and sustainable. And in that report from ESA TV, we heard from Vincent Henri Pugh, the head of Copernicus Atmospheric Monitoring Services, Sentinel-5P's mission manager at ESA, Klaus Zina, and Pippin Wiefkind, one of the principal investigators with the Sentinel-5P mission. This is Space Time. And time now to take another brief look at some of the other stories making news in science this week with a science report. A new study has found that sticking to a specific type of Mediterranean diet, known as a MIND diet, may help reduce dementia risk. 
MIND diet stands for Mediterranean Dietary Approaches to Stop Hypertension Intervention for Neurodegenerative Delay. The findings, reported in the Journal of the American Medical Association, looked at 200,000 people, finding that those who stuck to the diet had a 17% lower risk of dementia. The study showed that this type of diet emphasizes natural protein-based foods, limits the intake of animal foods and foods high in saturated fats, and uniquely encourages people to eat berries and green leafy vegetables rich in vitamins and antioxidants. Paleontologists have found that, just like modern-day elephants, male woolly mammoths underwent musks, which are testosterone-driven changes during the mating season. A report in the journal Nature claims scientists detected hormone fluctuations in the dentine of male mammoth tusks, estimated to be roughly 39 to 33,000 years old, and they were similar to hormonal patterns seen in the tusks of modern-day male African elephants. However, scientists say the hormone spikes were smaller in the mammoth, possibly because the mammoth tusks they tested had degraded over thousands of years. But they also tested female mammoth tusks aged around 6,000 years old and found no fluctuation in testosterone levels. The findings are the first evidence of must in mammoths based on hormonal data, demonstrating the potential of teeth and tusks for shedding new light on the life history of events in extinct animals. A new study has shown that ChatGPT is capable of answering questions about medical advice at a standard that's often higher than what a doctor can provide, assuming, of course, the AI is being honest. The findings, reported in the Journal of the American Medical Association, suggest that AIs could play a role in helping overwhelmed doctors draft better, quicker responses to questions. The authors simply asked the chat GPT to answer questions submitted to Reddit's Ask Docs that have already been answered by verified doctors. And the team of licensed health professionals then judged the response to determine which had the better quality of information and better bedside manner. The authors found that the chat GPT's response turned out being better for 78.6% of the questions answered. Now, of course, Reddit threads not the same as a doctor's office, but the results do show that AIs could help doctors deliver information in the best, easiest way possible in the future. Now, while we're on the subject of artificial intelligence, Jeffrey Hinton, the man widely seen as the father of artificial intelligence, has quit his job with Google, warning about the growing dangers from developments in AI. The 75-year-old announced his resignation in a statement to the New York Times, saying he now regretted his work, and later telling the BBC that the dangers of AI chatbots are quite scary. Hinton's pioneering research on deep learning and neural networks paved the way for today's AI systems like ChatGPT4. Hinton's major AI breakthrough came back in 2012 when his team successfully created an algorithm which could analyse images in the process identifying common elements, such as people, dogs or cars. Now, that was only a rudimentary algorithm, but it would eventually lead to today's current level of AIs like OpenAI Chat GPT-4 and Google's BARD. Hinton warns that AIs will soon be more intelligent than humans if they aren't already and they're already eclipsing humans in the amount of general knowledge they hold. Hinton's fears also echo those expressed in a public letter earlier this year by more than a thousand other tech leaders, including Elon Musk and Steve Wozniak. 
They called for a six-month halt in AI development because of concerns over its use. Hinton says he's especially worried about bad actors like Russian President Vladimir Putin, who could use AI for bad things, such as getting more power. Technology editor Alex Saharov-Royt from Tech Advice Start Live says his actions are significant. It's interesting that someone says that they regret their life's work. I mean, that's a pretty amazing statement. He did get his PhD in artificial intelligence 45 years ago. So humankind has been thinking about this for a long, long time. Originally, just something that was science fiction, but here we are nearly 50 years later and it's becoming true. And he did say that he consoles himself with a normal excuse. If he hadn't done it, he says somebody else would have. And it's hard to see how he can prevent bad actors from using it for bad things. What's he scared of? Is it the Skynet thing? Look, I think that's a worry down the track, but at the moment he fears that the internet could be flooded with misinformation. Come on, that's the ABC and CNN's job. Sure. Well, we have had fake news for quite some time without the power of AI. We've had that through organic intelligence. But Hinton was concerned that we just won't know what's true. We have had the case just in the last couple of weeks where a German magazine called Die Actuelle published a world-first interview with Michael Schumacher and hinted that it was deceptively real. And it turns out when people read the actual interview that the whole thing was generated by something from character.ai, which allows you to talk to famous people who are either no longer with us or in Michael Schumacher's case, are obviously not able to speak anymore. He said in the New York Times article that everyone's been quoting, he says that the idea that this stuff could actually get smarter than people, a few people believe that, he says, but most people thought it was way off. And I thought it was way off. I thought it was 30 to 50 years or even longer away. Obviously, he says, I no longer think that. And in fact, uh, the article seemed to imply that Hinton left Google so that he could criticize Google. But he said in a tweet that he left so that he could talk about the dangers of AI without considering how this impacts Google. He reckons that Google has acted very responsibly. Now, the thing is that AI has already gone mad in certain circumstances. Microsoft has had to put the, the brakes on its own version of ChatGPT4, the Bing AI. It's also become woke and politically biased. That's all down to the people who are, of course, um, programming, programming it. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, this is where individuals and companies are going to have to end up with their own systems, their own AI systems that can be filled with the information that you have vetted. I mean, already Samsung has banned its staff from using ChatGPT. Samsung had discovered that some of its staff had been putting sensitive information about unreleased products and also into ChatGPT and also asking it to provide summaries of meetings where sensitive topics were discussed. And this information is being used by ChatGPT without ChatGPT's knowledge that Samsung had necessarily put it in there, but it's just being used to train the system and could easily be regurgitated in answers that it gives to other people because that's how these chatbots work. They are incredibly proficient aggregation and regurgitation machines. They give the appearance of being intelligent because they've got so much information at their disposal that they know what, in theory, the correct things are to say in, in regards to any response. But again, it all depends what has been input into the system. And another concern is that now we've got AI systems which can even read your mind. Yeah, they're getting individuals to train themselves on a system that can analyze the patterns of their brain. And then they can take this analysis, run it through a GPT, so version one GPT, not the 3.4 or 5 we use today. And the GPT's results or responses uh, hew very closely to what it is that they say they were thinking about or what they were seeing in a video. So this is the beginning of actually being able to have technology read your mind and give out results. The great minds at uh, Apple and Google have come together and they've discovered, whoopee-doo, people don't like being tracked. Why did it take them so long? It 
it's not that people didn't like tracking. I mean, you, you were able to track your friends on iPhones using the Find My Friends. You could switch on the ability to share your location for an hour or for the rest of the day or even on an ongoing basis. Parents use these tracking now, Alex, features. let me ask you a question here. Do you leave your hmm. tracker on or do you turn it off like I turn mine off? I turn it off. But if I'm going to a friend's place, for example, and then I might turn it on for the hour so they can see how long I'm going to be. They can actually tell the distance I am away. I used this with my sister the other day. She was coming to visit with her boyfriend. And I told her, you know, turn your tracking on for the next hour because they were about an hour away. And it was really cool to be able to say, oh, they're 10 minutes away. Oh, they're outside. And, you know, you could sort of not have to worry about where they were. Now, the problem is when people have been using the Tile and the Apple trackers to track people, to track ex-partners, to track cars, to stalk people. And Apple has been the only company that actually alerts you to the fact that you have a tracker that is not one of your trackers that seems to be staying with you and is in your area. The Tile tracker doesn't do that. Other trackers haven't done that. And so Apple has actually been responsible in this area by alerting people that even uh, delivered an app that Android users can install to see if there's any Apple trackers around them. But uh, Apple and Google have jointly submitted a proposed industry specification. This is to help combat the misuse of Bluetooth location tracking devices for unwanted tracking. And that's the first of its kind specification. That's Alex Zahara of Royd from techadvice.life. That's the show for now. Spacetime is available every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday through Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcast, Pocket Casts, Spotify, Acast, Amazon Music, Bytes.com, SoundCloud, YouTube, your favorite podcast download provider, and from SpacetimeWithStuartGary.com. Spacetime's also broadcast through the National Science Foundation on Science Zone Radio and on both iHeartRadio and TuneIn Radio. And you can help to support our show by visiting the Spacetime store for a range of promotional merchandising goodies. Or by becoming a Spacetime patron, which gives you access to triple episode commercial free versions of the show, as well as lots of bonus audio content which doesn't go to air, access to our exclusive Facebook group and other rewards. Just go to SpacetimeWithStuartGary.com for full details. And if you want more space time, please check out our blog where you'll find all the stuff we couldn't fit in the show, as well as heaps of images, news stories, loads of videos, and things on the web I find interesting or amusing. Just go to spacetimewithstuartgary.tumblr.com. That's all one word, and that's Tumblr without the E. You can also follow us through at StuartGary on Twitter, at SpacetimeWithStuartGary on Instagram, through our Spacetime YouTube channel. And on Facebook, just go to facebook.com forward slash Spacetime with Stuart Gary. And Spacetime is brought to you in collaboration with Australian Sky and Telescope magazine, your window on the universe. You've been listening to Spacetime with Stuart Gary. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com. Bytes.com.